Hello everyone. The following is audio from an episode I recorded for an Instagram live I did for the Science Journal podcast. I hope you like the episode and I hope you can also contribute towards the donation initiative for people affected from the floods in Pakistan. Thank you very much. So just to give everyone straight or who joining some reference into what we're talking about over here and why is this important and the scale of what has occurred. So just to lay down some of those ideas and to describe some of the very important specifics that can help us to contextualize this issue. One third of the country at one point or the other was underwater. And it's a big country. It's not like Qatar, it's a massive country. And so that's a very large area. It's the size of Wyoming that's underwater. At 30 million people are affected, according to the planning minister of Pakistan, 30 million people are actually displaced. But we cannot be confirmed that that they are affected in a very negative manner. Beyond that, one million houses uh, have been destroyed. Uh, the floods have carried them away or the rains have uh, eroded them to the ground. And a very sad statistic is that 1,100 people have died. And the, the reason that is such a pity and the reason Pakistan really does not deserve this is because this country produces less than 1% of global carbon emissions. It's less than 1% of global carbon emissions, but it is one of the most vulnerable countries in the world. And that can be said for most third world countries, most countries that are very vulnerable to climate change and the effects of climate change. Countries like the Maldives, which are literally going underwater. And countries like Bhutan, which have a very regulated and a very synergetic ecosystem. These countries are still in the developing world and they have to bear the brunt of evils and of problems that have been um, perpetuated on us by developed countries, by countries that are actually living beyond these, their means and countries that are consuming more than is sustainable. And that's why it's very important to have this conversation because it's not just Pakistan. And it's something that people in Pakistan are really emphasizing. That today it is us, right? Today it is us who are bearing the brunt of climate change. But tomorrow it could be you. Tomorrow it could be you and your country and you could be the ones who could really be affected by the climate catastrophe that is being released upon us. So I'd just like to clarify, I'd just like to lay down why Pakistan is at this point. What are the natural factors that have contributed to this immense damage? The first uh, is that Pakistan is home to the largest number of glaciers in the world. And glaciers are very important in the sense that not only are they a source of fresh water and not only are they a source of stored, pure water, but they also trap fossil fuel. And the problem with glaciers melting is that when they melt, all the, all the gases and all the fossil fuel gases that have been trapped in them over many centuries, they get released. And when that happens, it, it, what it does is that it ex ex exponentiates, it exponentiates the greenhouse effect. And so for that reason, glaciers are very important to our ecosystem and melting glaciers are a huge concern. And since Pakistan is home to the largest number of glaciers, well, they melt during the summers. These are the summers of Pakistan. So glaciers melted and increased the flow of water uh, in, in the various tributaries that Pakistan had and that caused water levels to rise. But accompanying that were the rains. It has been raining for months in Pakistan. Glaciers in Sindh have received more than five times the rain that they usually do. 
and uh, that is a tragedy for the reason that there is no system to cope with this challenge. And so when you couple the rains with the effect of the glaciers melting, the, Pakistan had very little chance in this grand dream climate change. So we've talked about rains and we've talked about glaciers, but we also need to talk about the lack of dams. Right? This is a big country. This is a country whose water needs accommodate 230 million people. And those 230 million people, their needs need to be regulated. And the way you regulate water is with the help of building dams. Pakistan has had a major dam built since 1975. And mind you, this is a country that is very water-starved. It is a country where water is running out, which is true for most third world countries. And that's why we're having this conversation, because the conversation is not just limited to Pakistan, but rather all third world countries, Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, Asia, and beyond. And so for that reason, a water-starved country that is underwater, that is drowning, it is a very sad state of affairs. And uh, I think one a very telling example of how problematic this is, uh, some years ago when I was doing an internship, and I met the chairman of the water council of the country. And it was a very concerning day. It was a very concerning time for the reason that gentleman had a lot of, had a lot of questions and a lot of concerns and a lot of queries. What he didn't have were answers. He didn't have any answers for us as to how we can make sure that our needs do not outweigh our resources. And when I went away from that conversation with that gentleman, I was very concerned because stars are dabbing 99% of groundwater, 99% of urban needs in Pakistan. So, for example, 99% of um, water requirements in urban centers. Or, and it, they can range from anything from water you use in your kitchen to wash water. Water that is used in bathrooms, water that's used for washing clothes, water that is used for washing cars. And I have been in that situation where I have seen uh, people wash their cars with groundwater, which is a huge travesty because groundwater is pure. And the process through which groundwater accumulates takes hundreds of years. So if you're washing your car with groundwater, what you're doing is you're using and an exhaustible, a limited exhaustible resource to do something that could very well have been done in any other way or shape by means of any liquid state of water. It doesn't have to be pure. And I think it's this inability to understand the long-term consequences of our actions and this inability to understand the future that we're headed towards that is causing us to lose vision to larger things and larger matters in, 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 in our collective lives. And I just, want to, I just want to emphasize once again that this is a challenge that Pakistan is not the only country that's facing. This is a challenge that Egypt and Ethiopia face. The grand renaissance dam that Ethiopia is constructing and has now started filling, it could have very drastic consequences for the Egyptian tributaries that are in its route. Egypt is one of the oldest civilizations in the world. Egypt civilization is one of the oldest civilizations in the world. And the reason for that, the, 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 the way that it was watered and the way that water reached it, at the, 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 the Nile was the Nile River. And this dam could really reduce the level of water in the Nile River. And that could be a very big problem for the reason that Egypt and Ethiopia could take some very drastic actions in order to increase their own water needs at the expense of the other group. 
The third reason I believe Pakistan finds itself in this current predicament is because urban sprawl, right? If you have 232 million people in the country, they need to live somewhere. They need to go somewhere. And so what, what, the, what the state uh, in most third world, in most developing countries, I should say, uh, they, they find it very difficult to regulate urban growth and urban development, causing the urban sprawl to happen. And so for that reason, the natural path of water is, is no longer there. Right? Water always flows from an area of high pressure to an area of lower pressure, area of higher altitude to an area of lower altitude. That is, that is how water works. So the, what urban sprawl has done is that essentially a country like Karachi, which is literally built on top of the sea, it is literally right next to the sea. What urban sprawl has done is literally contained the water in Karachi and it has, it has, it has limited the ability of water to drain safely into the sea. And there's a huge dichotomy over here. Most of the land that has been reclaimed from the sea and the land that, land that was actually water and that allowed drainage to happen, most of it was, most of it was actually used to make golf courses and elite housing societies. And those places look beautiful. Those places look great. And the, the, so the elite can, they can go and they can have, have some good time playing golf next to the sea, beautiful views and nice games and all of that. But it comes at huge expenses to people in inner cities, right? People who live in the inner city regularly see their position destroyed, regularly see water flooding their houses. They regularly see that, that the city cannot cope and they regularly feel that the city cannot cope with rains and water and other miscellaneous natural phenomena. And so it is in times of crisis like these, that stories emerge and that stories come up. There's a human element that comes across. Um, and we see lots of these stories in Pakistan as well. So for example, some of them are good, right? Some of them are encouraging. Uh, you will see one story about this. Uh, an assistant commissioner working in Sarah and she led the efforts right from the front. And it was her individual ability that allowed the floods to be, the effect of the floods to largely be contained. So there are heroes who emerge in times of strife, but there is a lot of misery as well. I think one of the saddest incidents that happened was in lower Kohistan when there were five men and they were traveling. And when they saw that the bottom level was rising around them, they climbed on top of a huge rock. And they were on top of this huge rock and the water level kept rising. And there was a chance that they would be taken away with the water. And so what they did was that uh, they tied themselves to ropes and then they tried to pull themselves out with the help of other onlookers and they all drowned except for one. So it was a very sad scene because it's all on camera. You can see the water gushing around them. You can see these five men stuck on top of a little hump of a rock. They're waiting for help. They're waiting for some helicopter or some sort of assistance to come. But nothing along those lines happens and it perish one by one in wide eye of the entire world and onlook. That is the sort of horrifying scenes that climate change causes to, to emerge. Another very, another human story is the impact that these floods have had on places of merriment. So waterside resorts, riverside, river funds, these are places that people go to spend their holidays. And the whole buildings have been brought down as the water gushed forth, it weakened the foundations of buildings, it crashed into buildings and, and, and what that resulted in was immense destruction and, and whole buildings and whole structures collapsing to the ground in a matter of seconds. And it's, and 
It's very interesting because climate change is such a big issue, such an important issue, and we are all talking about it. We all need to talk about it. But the fact of the matter is that climate change actually hasn't manifested itself yet. It's the very drastic effects of climate change, but cold floods and cold hurricanes and cold natural phenomena can be associated to, to climate change. It will happen in, in, in the time of five or ten years. So right now, what is happening is simply some of the precursors to massive climate change. And this could be attributed as subnatural phenomena. So the effect of climate change on these matters can be regarded as being not as immense as we are beating out. I'm trying to be very cheerful here because I simply do not want to reduce the scope of the danger that climate change possesses to civilization and society. But I also want to be very mindful of the fact that the reason that the destruction of these plants was so immense was because the country simply wasn't ready. There weren't the institutional remedies in place in order to deal with massive problems like flooding or extra rains or more more uh, precipitation. Those institutions were simply not in place. Now, what is the larger story of, I'd like to break this line to an end on this topic. What is the larger story of mankind with climate change? There are lots of people right now who might feel personally depressed and personally distressed that they have to deal with climate change and that climate change is a reality. And that is valid. But I was reading a book by a writer at the University of Manitoba, B. Class Smith, and he said that the idea that we have about climate change, that if we reduce our carbon footprint in five to 10 years, climate change could radically be limited. That idea could not be too correct for the reason that mankind is not just using fossil fuels in order to fulfill some purposes. Rather, it is a fossil fuel civilization. Our very success as a species depends on the use and exploitation of fossil fuels. And I think that's a very interesting and very worrying idea that fossil fuels, uh, fossil fuels may not essentially be something that we can reduce the use of through our natural capacity, but rather they are something that are an essential facet of what it means to be a modern human being. And we see that around us, right? We see that the same fossil fuels that are causing the destruction of our planet and the death of hundreds of species, those very same fossil fuels are the reason that a lot of people have been, and a lot of people have been able to live a respectable life. People might migrate to other countries that are oil rich. Those people go there to create a living. And the way that they are able to create a living is through using and through engaging in jobs that are related to the fossil fuel sector. So I think my takeaway from Veklav's book was that this is a very complex matter and there are no easy solutions out of this. And I think one way out of the climate conundrum on a personal level is that you appreciate everything that is around you. As a human being, you appreciate the progress that the humans imagine and you appreciate the species, the diversity that is around, right? You appreciate all the wealth of natural species that our planet possesses because they might not last. Because 
it could be that in the future we might not be in this in the same capacity to enjoy the bounties of our planet as we are in right now and that's a very peculiar thought for the reason that our general conception of climate change is that it is something that can largely be reduced and something that can largely be limited is to reduce fossil fuel consumption however that definitely does not limit the impact that the, the people of Pakistan are facing as a result of these massive floods. And uh, if you're watching this live and if you'd like to contribute on my Instagram channel, I'm putting up some links to very technical organizations that you can donate to and that have been doing very great work for a very long time, organizations that I too have been a part of. If you talk about Qatar, then over here in Qatar, Qatar Charity has launched a very dedicated effort to help people in Pakistan who are impacted by climate change. And uh, beyond that, Qatar Airways has launched a special campaign. And I believe today was the day that they were going to come to Education City and collect material items. They're going to come and collect material items that they will then special cargo planes to, to transport to Pakistan. And I would really encourage everyone to please join in these efforts. And in every cent counts, maybe you're a student and maybe you do not have a lot of disposable income. But I think that is fine. It is the spirit that matters. And I would really encourage you to uh, be a part of this effort to try and limit the, the damage that has already been done. Uh, the planning minister recently said that it would take $10 billion to reconstruct everything that has already been damaged in Pakistan from the effects of climate change. And uh, looking at the statistics right now, the U.S. has committed $30 million. A similar number has come from the U.K. It's a massive problem for the country. It's something that can stay with us for a very long time. And like I said earlier, guys, this is a water-starved country. This is a country where water is running out. And I myself have seen it in some circumstances. For example, if you go to the more peripheral cities, so for example, uh, Rawalpindi and Islamabad are two very important big cities. But they are very central to the economic lifestyle of, of Pakistan. And when Rawalpindi and Islamabad, right, Rawalpindi is a military headquarters, so it's a very important uh, element of Pakistan society. And Islamabad is the federal government's headquarters in the capital of the country. And these two countries, they largely overlap as well. There's a lot of overlap between these two countries. So the cities, between those two cities, I'm sorry, and uh, because they were overlapping and because these are big cities, their populations are literally multiples of the population of Qatar. They needed water. Right? They needed water. These are inland cities. So they literally created a lake. They literally created the Raval Lake in order to provide to these cities. But the problem comes when you're talking about peripheral cities. What are peripheral cities? Peripheral cities are cities that are not, you can say they're not central to the lifeblood and economy. So for example, a peripheral city, a peripheral city, you can expect water to right now be running out in Pakistan. That is the situation that, that those cities are in. Water is running out there. And that is what magnifies the sort of impact of the current climate catastrophe that the country is facing. So I very much urge everyone to try and help in every, any capacity that you can, whether it just be asking your friends from the region whose families might be affected by this, how they're doing it, showing support. And beyond that, if you can make some material contributions, I think that would be great too. But like I said, every drop counts. It's a very daunting task that we face, but hopefully there is light at the end of the tunnel. If you guys are interested in this topic, then I will be writing a blog post on it as well, which will be up on the Science Journal website. So I encourage you to check out my 
blog as well, where I'll be writing about this crisis in a more recent and detailed manner, just to have a more uh, you know, nuanced conversation about the various factors and elements that are involved in this crisis. So I'd like to thank everyone for joining in. And this is the end of the lives. Thank you very much. And I'll see you next time.